the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Quote.com slash commercial. The following program is sponsored. Today on Know the Truth from Philip DeCourcy. As the sky darkens and history seems to be going in the wrong direction and the foes of the Church of Jesus Christ seem to increase in the halls of power when called upon, will you play your part in suffering? That's what it means to keep the faith. Suffering, not shame, ought to mark the ministry of the true servant of Jesus Christ. with boldness for Christ. That's our subject today on Know the Truth with Philip DeCourcy. We're continuing our study in 2 Timothy, a letter written by the Apostle Paul to his young protege. And in the first chapter, you can feel God's power in Paul's words, reminding all of us to hold fast in suffering and keep our nerve in the face of growing persecution. You can catch the previous messages in this series at ktt.org. But right now, let's join Philip for today's message titled, Keeping the Faith. Ted Engstrom was a former evangelical leader, head of Youth for Christ, and a prolific writer. He died in 2006 at the age of 90 here in Southern California. And speaking of the fact that he was a prolific writer, if you study his life, you'll realize that he managed to write one book every year for 50 years. That's quite something. Now, in one of his books, The Making of a Christian Leader, Ted Engstrom argues that in his day, which spills over into our day, there was a scarcity of leadership talent and leadership toughness. In fact, in that book, he makes this famous statement, the world needs men who cannot be bought, whose word is their bond, who put character above wealth, who do not hesitate to take chances, who will not lose their individuality in a crowd, who will be as honest in small things as in great things, whose ambitions are not confined to their own selfish desires. Men who are not ashamed or afraid to stand for the truth when it is unpopular, who can say no with emphasis, although the rest of the world may say yes. I like that, and I especially like that last line. What the world needs, what the times cry out for, is a body of men who are not ashamed or afraid to stand for truth when it is unpopular, who can say no when the world says yes. Ted Engstrom is right. Every age and every stage of church history necessitates a body of men who are boldly and brazenly committed to God and the gospel of His Son. Men who buy the truth and sell it not. 
Men who do not lose their gospel identity in the crowd. Men whose ambition is kingdom-centered. Men who believe that character counts. Men who will stand for the truth in a world that wants them to bend the knee to pragmatism, pluralism, and power. We need men like Peter Cartwright. You go back to the early days of the United States. And President Andrew Jackson arrives at church one morning where this circuit-riding preacher, Peter Cartwright, is due to speak. And he's taken aside and he's given the news. You may not know this, but President Andrew Jackson is in the congregation this morning and you just might want to watch your P's and Q's. The last thing you want to do is tick off the president. So he gets up. He welcomes everybody, and his first words out of his mouth are these, I understand that President Andrew Jackson is here this morning, and I've been requested to be guarded in my remarks. But let me say this, Andrew Jackson will go to hell if he doesn't repent. <laughs> now, everybody's sitting aghast. You know what? He just blew the thing up right in everybody's face. But you know what the surprise was? As the president went out the door and shook the hand of that fearless preacher, he said this, Sir, if I had a regiment of men like you, I could conquer the world. He's unashamed. He's unafraid. And that's what we're to be. And that's what Paul wants Timothy to be. Let's go to our passage here. 2 Timothy chapter 1, verses 8 through 18. This is Paul's concern as he writes to Timothy, his protege. As I've said, this is the second imprisonment of the apostle Paul from which he will not escape. We can't be sure, but it is likely that he dies within weeks, if not months, of writing Second Timothy. His death is only weeks and months away. And so consequently, his primary concern is continued faithfulness to the gospel. You'll find a little phrase in Second Timothy, but you. The times are perilous. The culture is godless, but you. Timothy, I have fought the fight and I've kept the faith. Now you preach the word and you do the work of an evangelist and you fulfill the ministry. I need to know that there'll be gospel faithfulness beyond my departure. And underlining it, I think there's a little bit of a concern because Timothy has a propensity to be timid, fearful. He can be easily unnerved. And given Paul's condition, where he's a prisoner, that might unnerve Timothy, as he may think to himself, that's my lot if I continue to do what Paul calls me to do. Then there's the scandal of the gospel. In the Jewish community, it's a scandal. It's a stumbling block. And in the Gentile community, it doesn't make sense. And then you've got the ill winds blowing across the culture where men are becoming fierce, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. And then you've got the presence of heretics in Asia who are infiltrating the church in Ephesus. We'll see before we're done this letter that there are those who say that the resurrection has already passed. And then Paul himself is being deserted by those he counted as friends. A lot of stuff. And Timothy's aware of that. He's aware of the imprisonment of Paul. He's aware of his own tendency to timidity. He's aware that the gospel message is offensive and unpopular. He's aware of the fierceness of the culture. He's aware that other Christians are not being faithful themselves. 
And so Paul has to write and bolster him and encourage him. And that's what we've got going on, especially in this section. Because the key is the phrase, not ashamed. Take your Bible and look at verse 8. Therefore, do not be ashamed of the testimony of our Lord, nor of me, his prisoner, but share with me in the suffering for the gospel. Look at verse 12, where Paul says of himself, to which I was appointed a preacher and an apostle and a teacher of the Gentiles. Verse 12, for this reason I also suffer these things. Nevertheless, I'm not ashamed. And then he will tell us of a friend of his who didn't desert him when others were deserting him in verse 16. And you'll notice that this friend was not ashamed of Paul's chains. That's the theme, guys. Not ashamed. Keeping the faith being true to the gospel, being committed to the advance of the kingdom of God. And you know what? Timothy's temptation is our temptation. It's a real temptation to buckle under the pressure. Listen to John Stott. We are all more sensitive to public opinion than we like to admit and tend to bow too readily before its pressure like reeds shaken in the wind. And that's Timothy's temptation and Timothy's tendency. And so Paul writes him, don't be ashamed. Keep the faith. Be faithful in the gospel. So let's come and look at this passage. Here's how you keep the faith. Here's what it looks like. Here's what gospel commitment manifests itself by. Number one, gospel commitment is a matter of suffering. If you're committed to the gospel, then you'll take some arrows for Jesus Christ. Look at verse 8. Share with me in the suffering for the gospel. Gospel commitment is a matter of suffering. Gospel commitment, secondly, is a matter of safeguarding. Scroll down to verse 14. That good thing which was committed to you, keep by the Holy Spirit who dwells in us. What's the good thing? What's the deposit? It's the gospel. It's the death burial, resurrection, and ascension of the Lord Jesus Christ. We've got to guard the gospel if we're going to give the gospel. If we lose the gospel, we have nothing to give the world. So we've got to keep it before we can share it. That's gospel commitment. That's what it means to keep the faith. Gospel commitment is a matter of suffering. Gospel commitment is a matter of safeguarding. And gospel commitment is a matter of supporting Paul was refreshed by his friend who was not ashamed of his chains in verse 16. Gospel commitment involves praying for, giving to, standing by God's servants as the gospel is preached and the advancement of God's kingdom takes place. So that's where we're at. Gospel commitment is a matter of suffering. This is verses 8 through 12. Let me read it again. Therefore, do not be ashamed of the testimony of our Lord, nor of me, his prisoner, but share with me in the sufferings for the gospel according to the power of God, who has saved us and called us with a holy calling, not according to our works, but according to his own purpose and grace, which was given to us in Christ Jesus before time began, but has now been revealed by the appearing of our Savior, Jesus Christ, who has abolished death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. Now listen to this, guys. If you're saved, if you have put your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ alone for salvation— You know the regenerating, enlivening work of the Holy Spirit. Know this. 
Nobody gets to go to heaven unscarred and unscathed. Paul will say in this very letter, it is through much tribulation that we enter the kingdom. It's the lot of the godly to be persecuted. That's why the old writers talk about the church militant on earth and the church triumphant in heaven. We're the church militant. We're in a battle. This isn't a playground. This is a battleground. And the forces of hell are arranged against us, and the world presses in upon the church to compromise and to bend the knee to pluralism and pragmatism and power. But we're not going to do it. Because with Paul, we're going to say, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. It's the power of God unto salvation. We're going to deny ourselves. We're going to take up our cross. We're going to follow him, and we're going to confess him before man so that he confesses us before the Father, Mark chapter 8, the teachings of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, if we're you and I are true followers of Jesus Christ, then we're going to step up for Christian service. Like some of the men with us who are in the military who have at least pledged themselves, if necessary, to put their life and their limb on the line for the defense of our country. And it's the same with the Christian man regarding the gospel. We're not going to be ashamed. We're going to pay the price. We're even going to share in the suffering. That's the matter of suffering. Being unashamed of the unadjusted gospel means in practical terms being willing to suffer regarding the person of Christ, the people of Christ, and the proclamation of Christ. We could develop that, but I'm going to let that stand because it's there. Look at verse 8. Therefore, do not be ashamed of the testimony of our Lord. Let's not be ashamed of our Lord Jesus Christ. Who is he? For us. He's the second person of the triune God. For us, he's the virgin-born Son of God. For us, he's sinless. For us, in him dwells all the wisdom of God. For us, he's the one sacrifice given for men. And he's the only name under heaven given among men whereby they can be saved. For us, he is a redeeming Savior who died an atoning death upon a cross. And then he was buried and rose bodily and physically. He has ascended to the right hand of God. And he is marshalling the very hosts of heaven someday to come and vindicate himself before a rebellious world. That's who he is to us. And we're not ashamed of that. We'll go to the mat for that. That's where we'll stand. We love our Lord Jesus Christ because he loved us. We're not ashamed of our Lord. We're not ashamed of the person of Christ. We're not ashamed of the people of Christ. Don't be ashamed of the testimony of our Lord nor of me, his prisoner. You know what I've found as I've lived the Christian life? Some people love the Lord Jesus, but they don't love the people of God. They love him, but not his church. And they don't identify with his people or his prisoners. But that's not the way we should be. No, we're committed to his person. We're committed to his people. And we're committed to the proclamation of his name as his people. Because Paul says, don't be ashamed of the testimony. The Lord Jesus is not to be kept as a family secret. He's to be shared on the streets and the factories and the schools and the neighborhoods of our land by those that love him. So we're not ashamed of this unadjusted gospel. In the context of this letter, Paul was a prisoner for Christ. Look at verse 8. Nor of me, his prisoner. He'll talk about his chains in verse 16. And then over in chapter 2, verse 9, again, he will talk about that. For which I suffer trouble as an evildoer, even to the point of chains. But the word of God is not chained. Can't wait to get to that verse. 
In Ephesians 3 verse 1, this is regarding his first imprisonment. Again, he calls himself a prisoner. I mean, the great apostle Paul, the leader of the Christian movement, was a jailbird. And on several occasions, first time he got out, second time he won't survive it. By the way, you could kind of go past this, but he he just didn't say, you know, hey, don't be ashamed of me, I'm in prison. Don't be ashamed of me, did you notice? His capital H, his prisoner. Now, he's a Roman prisoner, but when you're a gospel-centered man, when you believe in the sovereignty of God, when you believe in the providence of God's dealings with mankind, you can look at whatever circumstance you're in and you can define it from the point of the throne of God and the glory of Jesus Christ. That's a beautiful little thing. His prisoner. That's why Samuel Rutherford called his prison in Scotland his palace. And he said the stones of the walls in the prison in Scotland where he was housed, they shone like rubies because he knew the presence of the Lord Jesus Christ. I also like the words of David Livingstone, the missionary. I just finished the biography of his recently on a time of vacation. He said this, I will place no value on anything I have or may possess except in relation to the kingdom of Christ. Paul seems to have that perspective. He even describes his circumstances from the perspective of the kingdom of Christ. I'm his prisoner. But let's get back to a point I started to make. In the context of this letter, Paul was in chains and people were leaving him. We'll see this when we get to verses 15 through 18. Many in Asia were turning away from him. So people were leaving him, and in the light of that, he urges Timothy not to join them. But here's what he urges, Timothy, don't join them who are leaving me. Would you join me in suffering? Look at the word, sure, in the New King James. Maybe you have another translation, and several of them use the word join. Hey, come join me in suffering. I like the way the Good News Bible, I think, puts this. Timothy, come take your part in the suffering. Come take your part in the suffering. Guys, that's a word from the Lord to us, from his word. As the sky darkens and history seems to be going in the wrong direction and the foes of the church of Jesus Christ seem to increase in the halls of power, in the university campuses across the world, here's the word. When called upon, Will you play your part in suffering? Wow. That's what it means to keep the faith. Suffering, not shame, ought to mark the ministry of the true servant of Jesus Christ. Timothy was to choose suffering over shame. Don't be ashamed. Come join me in suffering. That's challenging. Now, by the way, this choosing to suffer was really a choosing to do God's will, which often includes suffering. No right-thinking Christian chooses suffering in and of itself. Jesus didn't. He prayed in Luke 22, 42, Father, let this cup pass. If it's your will, then I'll embrace it. Same with Paul, would you remove this thorn, whatever that was? Was it a physical ailment or somebody that was really a thorn in his side, someone opposing his ministry in Corinth? Whatever it was, he asked for its removal. Nothing wrong with that, but God didn't remove it and give him grace to live in the midst of it. So look, this call to join in the suffering is not to push us unnecessarily into the way of harm. 
What we're really doing here is we're choosing God's will that often includes suffering for the sake of the gospel. But the reality is we love Christ above all things and we're willing to suffer for his sake. You get that, don't you, back in Acts 5, verse 41, where the apostles tell us this concerning their own arrest and release and the threat of imprisonment if they don't keep silent. So they departed from the presence of the council, rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer shame for his name. Nobody enjoys suffering. This call to join Paul in suffering is not, you know, a call to unnecessarily get in the way of harm. But when fidelity to the gospel and when faithfulness to the Savior involves suffering, we embrace it within the will of God. Because it's for his name's sake we're doing it. For the testimony of our Lord and for Paul, his prisoner. You get the same thought even in the calling of the apostle Paul. When he's given his marching orders, Acts 9, verse 15, but the Lord said to him, go, for he is a chosen vessel of mine, speaking to a servant of God who was going to Paul. He will bear my name before Gentiles, kings, and the children of Israel, for I will show him how many things he must suffer for my name's sake. Now, by the way, there are two kinds of suffering in this world, and you need to make this distinction because in this context, we've got gospel suffering. Come and join me. Come and share. Come and play your part in suffering for the gospel. There's general suffering and there is gospel suffering. Now, the first is related to the fall and the first is experienced by everybody. The fall brought death, environmental judgment. Life became harder than it needed to be. And so under that thought, we're dealing with natural disasters. We're dealing with illness. We're dealing with man's inhumanity to man. That's general suffering. And your unsaved neighbor experiences that just as much as you do. And even though you're in Christ, you encounter that as much as he does. But then there's gospel suffering. There's the suffering that you and I experience for the cause of Jesus Christ. Peter talks about this being suffering for doing right. We're not to suffer for doing wrong. We're to suffer for doing right in the eyes of God that often puts us on the wrong side of things with man. Read about it in 1 Peter 2, 20 and 1 Peter 3, 17. So there's general suffering and there's gospel suffering. And in this context, Paul is encouraging Timothy to come join him in gospel suffering. Are you surprised? Shouldn't be. Because Jesus promised us a safe landing, but not a smooth crossing. Keeping the faith when pressed by persecution and suffering. That's the topic of our message today on Know the Truth. It's just one portion of a series about biblical manhood from Philip de Corsi. And you can find this message and more at ktt.org. At Know the Truth, we believe that when we let God's Word run free, it has the power to speak into our lives as only God can. It's the Word of God for the people of God. We are fully devoted to teaching God's Word with boldness, clarity, and conviction. And if that mission resonates with you, you can make it your mission by partnering with us in the bold proclamation of God's truth. Join the Know the Truth team as one of our truth ambassadors. These valued partners commit a monthly gift of $25, $50 or more, and in turn receive special resources, including exclusive access to a live Truth Matters video devotional with Philip. Sign up online at ktt.org or call 888-644-8811. 
Without the financial support of friends like you, this radio ministry wouldn't be possible. And whether you become a Truth Ambassador or make a one-time gift today, we'll send you a copy of a book Philip recommends as a companion to this current series. It's titled Anchorman by Steve Farrar. This best-selling book offers rock-solid biblical guidance for anchoring your family in Christ for the next 100 years. Farrar's unique teaching style blends humor and practicality with the tools that fathers need to serve both God and family. Request Anchorman for a father or father-to-be in your life when you give to the Bible teaching ministry of Know the Truth. Again, call us at 888-644-8811 or give online at ktt.org. You can also write Know the Truth, Post Office Box 30250, Anaheim Hills, California, 92809. I'm your host, Wayne Shepherd. Come back tomorrow when Philip offers more insights for keeping the faith when the heat's turned up. That's coming Wednesday on Know the Truth. Today's program was produced and sponsored by Know the Truth Incorporated. Jesus said, you shall know the truth and the truth shall make you free. you're drowning in IRS debt and can't afford to pay, then you need to take advantage of special IRS tax programs that are available and free yourself from IRS collection efforts once and for all. Due to the financial hardship consumers are facing throughout the country, the Internal Revenue Service has made it easier to settle delinquent tax problems. An open phone line has been established by Community Tax for consumers to call and see if they qualify. Take down this number or store it in your cell phone, but call the Community Tax Helpline at 800-500-5588. If you owe back taxes to the IRS and cannot afford to pay them back, or even if you have years of unfiled tax returns, there's no need to fear anymore. But you have to call the Community Tax Helpline today at 800-500-5588 for the help that you need. Don't take on the IRS alone. They can attack your wages, savings, pension, home, and even your Social Security check. Call 800-500-5588 for your free consultation and to see if you qualify. That's 800-500-5588. You cannot live. Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.